Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever it is you happen to be listening to this. Welcome in. This is 48 Days Online Radio. I'm Dan Miller, your host. We're going to be reviewing some of the questions you, the listeners, have submitted in the last few days, and lots of them coming in. This is a time of year when lots of people are taking a fresh look at where am I, who am I, where am I going, how am I going to get there? And that's a healthy process, no matter where you are, to draw that proverbial line in the sand and say, who am I, where am I going, how am I going to get there? So, I trust you're doing that. I trust that you are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. A lot of times, you know, I live in a very creative community here in Nashville, Tennessee. There's a lot of people who have come here because they have great artistic, creative skills. And yet a lot of those people assume that if they really follow their passion, if they really follow what it is they love doing, that then the trade-off is they'll never make any money. They'll just eke out a living. But, you know, geez, I'd rather be, you know, playing gigs for $100 a night, twice a week on my guitar than to have a real job. So I'm just going to do that. Well, my suggestion is look for and solutions, not either or. Don't assume that either you follow your passion or you make money. What if you did both? That's the plan I want. I want to do both. Well, we're going to be covering some questions today from listeners who are like you in their situations. Perhaps your question itself I'll be answering today. Here are some of the ones we're going to be covering. How do you organize all the magazine articles, book excerpts, motivational audio, et cetera, that you've collected over the years? Dan, I'm barely making ends meet and I would like to make another 50000 a year. Travel is my passion. That lights my internal fire. How do I work this passion into a career? There's one of those right there. You know, what do you, what do you do when you have a passion that seems to be something unrealistic, impractical? It doesn't fit into a nice traditional cubicle world box. Can you turn that into a method for generating real viable income? Someone says, Dan, stop saying being introverted is the same as being shy. All right, help me understand the difference. We'll look at that. Next person says, my funding as a missionary has been cut off. What am I supposed to do now? Now, that's one of those challenging questions. What if you think you had a special calling that puts you into something that isn't like a traditional job to start with? Now that's gone. Where do you go from there? I'm a hardworking entrepreneur and my in-laws don't understand. Well, that's not uncommon. We'll talk about how to get past that obstacle. This is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you've got a question that you'd like to have answered here, just go to the 48days.com website, click on podcast, and you'll see a little box that comes up where you can submit your question. Or you can just shoot an email in to askdan at 48days.com. Got a quotation for us today that comes from Abraham Lincoln. Keep in mind, this is back in the 1860s. Abraham Lincoln says, property is the fruit of labor. 
property is desirable. It is a positive good in the world. That some should be rich shows that others may become rich and hence is just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Let not him who is houseless pull down the house of another, but let him labor diligently and build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence when built. She would a novel thought. Being rich isn't a negative. The goal is not to pull down a rich man's house. It's to look at that as an example of what can be done. You know, I get a little impatient with some of the people wandering around today, complaining, whining, wringing their hands, and their desire is to pull down the houses of the rich, in essence. To take money from those who have earned it and to somehow give it to those who have not yet figured out how to earn any. Well, I don't think that's a very good solution for anything. I trust you do not either. If you've been listening to this podcast for very long, I know that you don't believe that's a good solution, just to tear down the houses of the rich and give it to the poor. Well, Bertie from Austin, Texas says, I was disappointed to find out you don't save all your archives. I was wanting to hear the ones about starting a business for graphic designing and how to make $10,000 a month easily. Can you think back and talk in this again? Well, let me address the first part of your question. We get a lot of requests for podcast archives that go back years and years. We don't do that. Now, I've been doing, I've been creating audio content for over 10 years. If we saved everything, I mean, the bandwidth required for that is just astronomical. Now, keep in mind also, I mean, questions that come up tend to be recurring questions. So if you hear me talk about how to create a transition from a regular job into something more entrepreneurial or creative where you're just starting with zero guarantee income, but you want to build that, I mean, you've probably heard me talk about that. If you've been listening for a year, you've heard me talk about that eight or 10 times at least. So the fresh content ought to still have really the morsels of everything that I want you to be aware of. These questions come up repeatedly. So we have a year's worth of archived audio content. Well, we don't go back beyond that. We just clean it out. Now I have people say, oh my gosh, all that content could be turned into you know, books and things. Yeah, it can, but there's at some point there's got to be a line drawn in terms of how much we actually want to you know, turn into new print content or some kind of a physical copy. But anyway, we keep a year's worth there just because of bandwidth requirements. Um, sorry about that. Uh, I appreciate your desires to have more than that to go back in history. But if there's a question that you think is somehow missing there, just ask it again and we'll cover it again. Like your question, you want to start a business for graphing design. How do you make $10,000 a month easily? Well, I doubt that I've ever presented it as an easy process. You can just go out and start creating $10,000 a month. But here's how I've often used that as an example. And there've been real examples where I've worked with somebody who uh, worked with a young lady one time who was making $12 and 53 cents an hour as a graphic designer, working for a company, a prestigious advertising company right here in Brentwood, Tennessee. It was a company whose major um, client is KFC incidentally. But anyway, she'd been working there. She was valued there and she wanted to, 
she was a single mom, 24 years old. And she came to me, you know, is there a way I can make more money? Well, yeah, it'd be very easy to position her. She's very, very good at what she was doing and be very easy to position her where she could go out, do a job search and move to 14, $15 an hour, or perhaps even $20 an hour, which would be a big jump. But I said, I think what you're really asking is how can you make a real substantial change in what you're doing and the income limitations? And she said, yeah. So we positioned her as an independent freelance graphic designer. And I said, what I want you to do is I want you to start billing your time at $40 an hour. Well, she was like, oh my gosh, you know, can I do that? Yeah, you can. Even in a company that is paying you $12.53 an hour, they recognize they probably don't need your strongest talent 40 hours a week. So they're creating busy work to keep you busy. What if you found five companies that are not large enough to have a full-time graphic designer, but could use your services one day a week? Well, that's exactly what she did. Guess what company was the first client she brought on board? The company she had been working for. They were thrilled to move her into a freelance position where they in fact did use her one or two days a week, paying her $40 an hour rather than $12.53. But in doing that, she opened the door, took the lid off what she was able to earn, and she did very quickly go over $100,000 a year. Now what she did, you can do the math on that, and you think, well, even at $40 an hour, that's hard to do. You aren't going to bill 40 hours a week, and that's exactly true. But what she did was realize that her time was way more valuable than $40 an hour. So she would bid projects, which I encouraged her to do rather than, I mean, it, real consultants, high income earners never are being paid hourly, even if they're freelance or independent contractors, they always are bidding jobs. So if she was going to do a new CD cover for a record label, she may bid that at $2,500. Well, that's a reasonable fee to pay for that, but she may be able to complete the work in two hours because she was that good. So she very quickly moved to doing projects. Golly, the last I talked to that young lady, she had like seven computers set up in her office and was absolutely knocking it out of the park. So yes, you can do that. Brent from Orange County, California says, Dan, how do you organize all the magazine articles, book excerpts, motiva motivational audio, et cetera, that you've collected over the years? I'm wondering how to maximize my resources, not have them piled in the corner, never to be seen again. Been an avid follower of you for six plus years. Thanks for everything you do, Brent. Well, thanks for your question, Brent. Here's a couple things I do, and I, I certainly don't catalog everything that I read that has value. Some I just hope takes a permanent place in my brain so I can recall it. I do read a lot in this year. This is the first week of December, and as we are, are sitting here, I think I just logged my 71st book that I've read this year. So I read a lot. I read a lot of magazines. I listen to a lot of audio content. Uh, I don't try to just store that somewhere. I just think that all of that going through my tiny little brain will somehow leave a residue there of some positive impact. So, but I do, when I read, I mark a lot of pages and I do that both by underlining and then tagging it with the tiny little post-it notes. Actually, I'll use the little post-it notes that you get in a marker pen where they pull out of the side. No, I run out of those, but you can also buy those little tiny post-it notes and I buy those in various colors and then use them in different books. So I'll underline and then I'll tag that page. So 
that in itself, just the physical process of underlining and tagging the page means I really spent time on a particular concept that I think jumped out at me and had value. But then when I put that book on the shelf, I can walk up to my bookshelf four years later, pull that book off and in five minutes, scan the things that were very significant to me to me when I read it the first time. And a lot of times when I'm writing, I'll do that. I'm writing heavily right now with some book manuscripts that are coming up due. And when I'm writing, I, I cannot go off to a cabin somewhere and write. That's not the way that I write. I write right here in the middle of hundreds and hundreds of books that have impacted me over the years. And as I'm writing, I do, I walk over to the shelf, I'll pull one off and I'll insert a concept or a quotation or a phrase from that. So that's the primary way that I catalog all of that. Now I do have list. I've got list of thousands of quotations in just a word document, but then I can do a word search in there. So if I want to look up success, everything that I've got in there that uses success in a quotation, I can find it instantly. So I do a lot of cataloging like that as well, but I don't really get bogged down with just trying to catalog it. I don't need to be an encyclopedia at this point. You can do a Google search and find instantly anything you're looking for anyway. So I don't, I don't worry about storing a lot. I just, again, love the process of having positive information going through my brain. And I think in the process, it helps me then when I do write, speak, or coach. Next question. This comes from Dave. Thanks for doing the podcast. It's encouraging to know that I'm not the only one who knows what they want to do, but don't know how to get there. Your answers are straightforward and appreciated. I've heard other questions concerning health care when you're self-employed, but most of the questions are prefaced without pre-existing conditions. What about someone who has a pre-existing condition? Are there affordable options out there for us as well? As of now, I feel trapped that I must continue working meaningless jobs for large companies so I can get affordable health care with a pre-existing condition. Please help. I look forward to listening to your answer on the podcast, Dave. Well, Dave, thanks for your question. Yeah, that's not an uncommon request at all. Go to 48days.com. Right on on the right-hand side, about halfway down, you'll see a search field. Put in there self-employed insurance. That'll take you right to the content that I have that'll walk you through how to best handle this. There are a lot of companies out there that you can search from. And even with pre-existing conditions, sure, you can find companies that'll take you on. There may be an elimination period where over the first six months, you aren't covered for that particular thing or the first year. But you can also, as an entrepreneur, become part of a group so they have the same buying power for insurance that IBM or Microsoft, a big company does. A couple of those, the two most common of those are going to be NFIB and NASE. NFIB is National Federation of Independent Business People. So if you look that up, just go to their website, NFIB. I'm sure it's NFIB.org or .net or .com. You can become a member of that organization. They represent over 600,000 small businesses. And once you're part of that organization, then they have big buying clout and they have insurance options available. The same thing with NASE the National Association of the Self-Employed. Same thing there, small annual membership fee, but it puts you into a big buying block and you may find better options for health insurance with one of those. Lyndon says, what are your thoughts of a startup business as an information broker? 
I like researching info to get the answers to my questions. Also, many of my friends know this and contact me regularly to research information for them online. Thanks for the great website and community that you offer all of us that are seeking work we love. Well, there are a lot of free resources for information. Linda, and I think that makes it pretty tough to position yourself to sell something that's already available. I mean, I'm not going to pay somebody to do research for something that I can find in 30 seconds. However, let me also put a caveat with that. We have virtual assistants. I mean, we have quite a few virtual assistants that do different things. And I, there's a virtual assistant that I have that does primarily research. Now, I think she's, I think she's on contract with us for maybe six or eight hours a week. So it's not a lot of time, but essentially a day, probably a day a week. And she researches things for me. So she is researching right now, all small colleges and universities that would be candidates to have me come in and speak with a particular topic that I'm working on wisdom meets passion and how it's so necessary to find not only your passion, but also the keys to wisdom at a very young age. Um, she's researching other things for, she researches places where she gets my blogs and articles. I mean, yesterday I got the Zig Ziglar newsletter and I'm reading down through and I thought, geez, that looks familiar. Strawberries and ice cream. Well, yeah, it's, it's an article that I wrote a couple months ago. I didn't have anything to do with that. I have virtual assistants who take care of that. So they research places where they can get my blogs and articles. It gives us massive exposure in places that I don't have time to go research and do now. So, so I'm giving you a qualified, I think that's a challenging kind of business, but if you take specific things that you can do, or you do research that may be a little difficult to find or put together, yeah, then be very clear about what it is that you're doing. Don't be a generalist, be very, very specific in what it is that you're offering. And you can do that. Craig from Tullahoma, Tennessee says, I've been a fan and listener for over 10 years. I currently own a small catering business, Southern hospitalics, husband, Southern hospitality, PCS. That's what it is. Guy, I'm trying to read this word in a URL and it looks funny. Southern hospitality, PCS.com. And I just recently started my small business consulting. I'm trying to think of ways to increase my income in areas related to this type of work. I've managed multi-million dollar restaurants most of my life. And I love the freedom I have with self-employment but I'm barely making ends meet. I would like to make another 50,000 a year. Also, it seems most of the people that need my services failing restaurants don't have the money to pay me or so they think. Thanks for your input, Chef Craig. Well, I know Craig, Craig, thanks for your question. Target your best prospects for your consulting, not just those that you know need what you offer. I mean, it's like me in career coaching. My gosh, I mean, if I wanted to find the people that need me most, I could go down to the unemployment line and just stand there and talk to those people. But yeah, most of those are not going to be able to afford expensive life and career coaching. So while they need what I have, they're not good prospects. I would encourage you to make a list of 120 potential company customers. Now, living in Tullahoma, when you take into account Middle Tennessee, there's going to be thousands, but just identify 120 companies, companies that would be good candidates for what it is you do. Now, these don't have to be those that are, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy. These can be, I mean, I know you've worked with franchise food chains. 
before. I mean, those kind of people, a guy who has a franchise and he has, you know, 10 Papa John's franchises. I mean, those kind of people who they're successful, but they want to be more successful. And those would be great candidates for what you do. And then do a process that I call nurture marketing. Now, this is exactly the process that I used to get very lucrative consulting gigs, you know, years ago, but I went in and did workshops on leadership excellence, management excellence in companies like NFIB and General Electric, Deutsche Bank, and lots of others. I identified 120 companies, and then every month they would get something from me, not just a sales brochure, but I would give them information. Now I would do a lead in like, did you ever, you know, one time I sent out a little plastic or rubber frog in an envelope and the lead in was, you know, did you ever hire somebody you thought was a prince and they turned out to be something else? Well, I would just give them information, how to hire, how to recruit, train, and keep really good people, how to make sure you don't have mismatches in your company. So every month they would get something from me. And out of doing that, it created what we call top of mind positioning. And that turned into very, very profitable contract agreements with those companies who were not afraid to write big checks. Now that process I mentioned, nurture marketing, you can go to nurturemarketing.com. Gentleman named Jim Cecil is the head of that organization. They've got a lot of free marketing tips right there on the site, but the information that I'm talking about that'll help you understand how to do that nurture marketing process. What that means is that you have your prospects and then you're fertilizing and watering over a long period of time. And those turn into the really profitable gigs. The kind of people who call you in a panic and say they're ready to come lock my doors because I can't pay my sales tax from last month. Yeah. Those are going to be short term gigs, low paying and frustrating. Ultimately look for better prospects in what you're doing. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller in the 48 days online radio show. If you've got a question for the podcast here, you can just go to the 48 days.com website, click on podcast. You'll see a little box jump up and you can submit your question there. Be delighted to entertain it in an upcoming podcast. Rain from St. Paul, Minnesota says, Dan, I want to travel. Travel is my passion that lights my internal fire. I don't want to sit at home while simply helping others to travel. Uh, Instead, I want to be out there traveling, taking photos, writing stories. How do I work this passion into a strong career that will allow me to live overseas and see the world? I would greatly appreciate your suggestions. I've been struggling with this incredible burning passion for years, and I still don't know how to make it happen. And it's killing me inside. I can't take it anymore. Now, Rain, grab a pen and paper. I'm going to be giving you in just a little bit, I'm going to give you some sites. And I know that when we're doing an audio presentation, it's a little bit tougher to get URLs. I'm going to give you some easy ones to write down. You want to travel. Travel's your passion. The light your fire. Has this ever been done before? Yes. Many, many times over. There's a whole lot of people who like to travel. I'm going to talk about a couple and then I'm going to give you some websites to help you plug in. So you'll have options before the sun goes down today. You can check out Chris Gillibou. Chris is a young guy, friend of mine, a delightful guy, wrote a book a couple years ago called the art of nonconformity. Uh, his name is Chris Gillibou. And, and rather than spelling that, just go to art of nonconformity.com. His book, again, The Art of Nonconformity, great book. 
He wants to travel. That's what he does. He has a goal to visit every country in the world before he's 35 years old. Now he's zeroing in on that very quickly. Last I checked, he was in, I think he was in Uganda and then, and then the Congo. I mean, he had some wild stories about being in the Congo places where Americans are not welcome and getting in the borders because he wanted to be inside the country so he can cross that one off his list. I think he identified about 210 countries and he, as he's closing in, he only has about 17 left to go, but you might check that out. But anyway, he's now, how does he do that and survive? Well, he doesn't get paid for traveling. He does that on his own nickel. Now he gets a lot of deals. He knows how to travel inexpensively because he's done it so, so much but he writes manifestos about how to live the kind of life that he's living. Of course, he wrote a book, The Art of Nonconformity. He's got a new book coming out this next April. We'll have him back here in Franklin, Tennessee and do a, a release on that book when that book is launched. I'll tell you more about it as the time approaches. But Chris Gillibu is a great example of doing exactly what you're talking about. And he's just, he's created content that people pay for. He's got a massive uh, blog. He blogs daily. And uh, people go there and then see other products that he's selling. He links to products as affiliate links. So he's created a reasonable income stream that gives him the freedom to just travel. And my son, Jared is another example. Jared lives right on the coast, right on the beach in Mombasa, Kenya. He and I, Leah, his beautiful wife, my daughter-in-law live there just because they think it's the coolest place in the world to live. They have monkeys that sit on their deck in the morning, geckos running around, some really interesting tales, but they just love being there and they travel extensively throughout Africa and around the world. Um, Ali is pregnant. Incidentally, we're very proud to say she's going to be coming back here, spending probably six months back here with us before and after the birth of their, our 10th grandchild, we hope. So uh, we're excited about that, but, but they travel now, Jared has done some work as a broker for products in countries around the world. He is paid as a consultant to be a liaison to help organizations like churches that will come over to Africa, but they don't know how to relate to the culture. He's paid. He's on retainer. He's on retainer with uh, different organizations like that. It is typically like a thousand dollars a month just to be available to help them know how to relate to the culture. And then he also right now is under contract with Dorman's, which in Africa is like the Starbucks in the United States. They're the big coffee company and he's helping open. He's overseeing the opening of two new locations there in Mombasa, Kenya. He's paid very well for that. They give him a company car um, expense account, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, you just be creative. If you want to travel, you can do that. You know what you're passionate about. You know what you really want to do. All you need to do is create an economic model. How can you do that? and still have enough income to allow you to travel anywhere you want. That's not unreasonable at all, especially today. It's never been easier than today. Now, let me give you some quick websites that you can go to that'll expand your thinking, expand your horizon about what the opportunities are. I'll just give, obviously, you know, the www.com here are the sites, cool jobs, cool works, job monkey, Backdoor jobs, vocation vacations, workers on wheels. Those are all sites you can go to. I'm sure we've got those listed somewhere. 
we maybe ought to do a compilation of that and put it up. But again, cool jobs, cool works, job monkey, backdoor jobs, vocation, vacations, workers on wheels. Those are all opportunities. You can plug right in where you'll be traveling extensively as part of your job. Thanks for the question. Summer from Wichita, Kansas says, Dan, I look forward to each podcast. Your advice is helping with my small business. Thank you. Now, this is the one <laughs> who's complaining about me grouping together shy and introverted. I have heard you a couple of times now lumped together being shy with being introverted. These are not the same things. I'm an introverted person. I'm friendly, considerate, even outgoing, and yet I'm an introvert. I'm not quite sure how you put together being outgoing and that you're an introvert. But anyway, uh, summer continues. Here's a quote from the extremely helpful book, The Introvert Advantage, How to Thrive in an Extrovert World. The strongest distinguishing characteristics of introverts is their energy source. Introverts draw energy from their internal world of ideas, emotions, and impressions. They can be easily overstimulated by the external world, experiencing the uncomfortable feeling of too much. For much of my life, I struggled with this until I learned to work with this important part of myself. This trait has a huge impact on job satisfaction. I'd love to hear more from you on this subject. Well, I'm, I'm just going to take, take what you say. I mean, I don't mind at all if you say that you're introverted, but you're not shy. I, I don't see either one of those as a negative. I think you're kind of implying that shy somehow is a negative. Um, obviously, you're saying that you don't have any com- any problem talking to people, you're friendly, considerate, and yet you're still an introvert. I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm way more introverted than extroverted. And I guess I would go with you there. Yeah, I don't consider myself shy. But now here, here, this is kind of funny. I mean, I, I just popped in the dictionary, just the online dictionary to see what they say. Shy is bashful, retiring, suspicious, distrustful. I mean, the things that you talk about, okay, that's shy. Maybe that doesn't sound easily frightened away. All right. Maybe those don't sound very good. But then I looked at dictionary dictionary definition of introvert. The first thing it says is a shy person. Hey, we can't get away from it. It says in psychology, an introvert is a person characterized by concern primarily with his or her own thoughts and feelings as opposed to extrovert. So, okay, I'm just going to take it base value. You're introverted, but not shy. That That's cool. I think we get into semantics here. It's a little difficult to separate those two, but yeah, I'll go with you there. Um, so I'll, I'll try to avoid using shy. Shy somehow seems like a timid little child that ducks their head. You know, you can be introverted and not be that. So I'll accept your reprimand and correction for me. Thanks for pointing that out, Summer. Well, Tim from Monument, Colorado says with the increased, now now this is a challenging position and I have heard this. This is one of those, as I pull out questions, I take those that are representative of a whole lot of people, not just the person asking the question. And this one has come up hundreds and hundreds of times in the last 20 years. Tim says with the increase of missionaries returning from the mission field due to lack of finances, what are we to do? We've been out of the country and in ministry jobs for so long. I'm not sure we know a whole lot else. We don't have any money. I need to find jobs. Any ideas? All right, Tim, let's kind of walk through this. You need to clarify 
your calling and then look for new applications of that calling. In 48 Days to the Working Love, I distinguish clearly between calling, career, and job. Calling is the big picture. That's what you want your life to accomplish. That's what you're going to do to leave a legacy. That is, again, includes things like your purpose, your mission, your destiny. Calling, that's the big thing that you want to do. Career then is a subset of that. A job, what you do daily is a subset of a career. So we come down, job is just what you're doing daily. Now in this example, what you have been doing daily. So let's say that you've been in Ethiopia somewhere and you're helping hold little church services and helping equip the local pastors there. That's what you've been doing daily. That's been taken away. The funding is gone for that. You have to figure out a new way to provide an income for yourself. Your calling does not change. Your calling cannot be taken away. I was speaking recently, I spoke to a large audience and I noticed a young man down front who was very intent. And after I spoke, you know, a lot of people came up and wanted to talk to me and I could see that he was hanging around. He wanted to make sure he was the very last person to talk to me. He waited for a very long time. And finally he was the only one there. And I commented, I said, I've noticed you've been waiting a long time. Obviously you have a question. He says, yeah, what do you do if your calling's been taken away? And I very quickly said, that's impossible. Nobody can take your calling. Nothing can take your calling away. He says, well, I was a pastor and I just got fired. We've been given two weeks to get out of the parsonage. I said, okay, I guess you need to find a new opportunity for what you're going to do daily. How did that take away your calling? If you're called to preach, teach, evangelize, encourage, do whatever, however you want to describe it, that can be taken away. There's thousands of ways you can continue doing that. If you got fired, all right, now what are you going to do? Let's go back to your calling. Look at that again. And that's what I encourage you to do, Tim, as a missionary. What was your original calling? I mean, this morning in my guys group, one of the guys in there uh, just told his business partner he was no longer going to be his business partner. And he's okay. Now I got to figure out what I'm going to do. He doesn't have to go back and have a new search for his calling or purpose. He's a creative builder. That's his calling. He has done that by building a chain of pawn shops. He's done that by being a consultant in church situations. He's done that in the real estate business. He just has to find the next application for that calling. So if your calling as a missionary was to bring hope and encouragement to people or to tell them about Jesus, I mean, whatever, I I don't care how you describe it. Do you have to go to the other side of the world to continue doing that? What if you were working at Hobby Lobby? I mean, that whole company stands for those values. What about a company like Dave Ramsey's? I mean, everybody there is a missionary. So you don't have to go back or you don't have to assume that you've been taken away from your calling. No, you haven't, but you have to go back and clarify your calling. Again, what are you passionate about? What is it that you do with excellence? Then create an economic model to do that. And frankly, if you want to stay in Ethiopia and help pastors build their churches, just find an economic model to do that. Not unlike what my son Jared has done in helping prostitutes on the streets in Kigali, Rwanda. I mean, how are we going to make that work without having other people just give you money? Well, there's ways to do that. He helped those ladies 
create little micro enterprises. They make beautiful jewelry. He exports that to other parts of the country there and comes back to the United States, does high fashion shows in Chicago, LA, New York, places like that. The jewelry is sold for high end dollars that funds providing what those ladies need for living expenses. Jared doesn't even take any money out of that anymore because he has these other things that he does that provide ongoing income. So don't think it's impossible to do just be creative and creating your own economic model. That's the only thing that's missing. You can continue doing the work that you're doing. Just create a new economic model other than expecting funding from some church denomination back home. And I, I, I don't want to just make this sound like a walk in the park. I don't mean to trivialize the process, but do I think it can be done? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I do. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to the 48 days online radio show. If you've got a question, just go to the podcast link, 48days.com site. You can click in there and find an opportunity to submit your question, see what other people have been asking and listening to previous shows. Well, let's take a note here to listen to my old buddy, John Tesh, and I'll be right back with the next question. Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. You know, incidentally, I get a lot of requests to do those little liners like that for other people who are doing podcasts and radio shows. And I don't mind doing that at all. Uh, just this morning I did one, but I did first go to see if the guy was involved in 48days.net. Yes, he is. He's very active there. He does a late night internet marketing show. I was not aware of it, but he asked if I do a little liner like that. I said, absolutely. A 10 second liner like that. Knock it out. If you want one, I'd be happy to do that. Um, now, again, I get a lot of requests for that. So the first thing I'm going to do is see if you are an active part of the 48 days community in some way. If you've been involved in 48 days.net, that growing community we've got, that's a, we're approaching, I think we're approaching 11,000 members there at this point. People are sharing ideas, linking arms, helping each other grow their ideas into profitable businesses. Um, be delighted to have you show up there. And then if you are involved there, those are the people that get quicker attention when I get requests for book endorsements, book forwards, interviews on podcast, doing those little liners for podcast and so on and so forth. Well, Rob from Dallas, Texas says, Dan, I've lived in seven in for seven years. I lived in South Korea. I met my wife and had two boys there. We moved back to the United States. And ever since I've wanted to return to Korea the issues I was an ESL teacher there, English as a second language. I can't go back into that field there. One reason is my children's education. Public school isn't an option because they're biracial. My children are biracial and are likely to be discriminated against by their teachers. How can I find a corporate job there that will pay enough for international schools where they aren't discriminated against? I've searched Korean job sites to no avail. Is there a way I can qualify this in a job search interview. I feel as though God brought us here to Dallas for my wife, but yet has given me a burning passion for Korea. I confuse, I'm confused if I should even be looking into returning to Korea at all. Well, Rob, yeah, there are certainly a lot of mixed messages 
in your short question here. The first thing you need to do is you and your wife need to be in agreement about this. Is this something that both of you want to do? Go back to Korea. You're saying that you came to Dallas for your wife. You don't have the issue here about your kids being discriminated against, I assume, because there's a whole lot of kids here that are biracial and go to public schools and every other form of schooling. So it sounds like there's not a lot of clarity in terms of, is this really something that you're going to do? It sounds like there may be more, more obstacles than positives. So first I would certainly encourage you to clarify why you want to go back to Korea. You might want to do what I call a Ben Franklin close. Joanne and I have done this many times over the years where, so we're living in Anaheim, California. And we decide, you know what? Every morning we get up, rub the smog out of our eyes, fight the traffic. And then on the weekends we escape, we get out of town, go to Big Bear or Lake Arrowhead or Palm Springs to get out of Anaheim to get away from the smog and the traffic. And Finally, we decided, why don't we live somewhere where when we walk out the back door, we're where we want to be? Why do we continue living in something that we think is not ideal? So we did a Ben Franklin close. And what that refers to is just draw a line down the center of a piece of paper on one side, put the pros and on the other side, the cons. And we started listing. What are the pros of moving somewhere else? What are the cons? We have to, you know, pay the expenses of moving, reestablish the kids in schools, get involved in the new church, blah, blah, blah. But what are the pros? What are the positives of that? This is something that's been used by salespeople since Adam and Eve. I mean, if you sit down with somebody, you've just presented them with a, a great new vacuum cleaner possibility here. Well, you know that they're going to be concerned about the cost. I mean, how are they going to justify 3000 bucks or whatever those in-home demonstration vacuum cleaners are these days? I don't know, but I know it's a lot of money. So there's that big obstacle. You do a Ben Franklin close. So you start listing the pros and you could list there. I mean, you're going to have a cleaner house. You're going to have fewer allergies. The kids are not going to be as sick. You're going to spend less time cleaning. You're making an investment in something that holds value over a long period of time. All right, now what are the cons? What are the negative? Well, the cost. Now, the interesting thing about doing a Ben Franklin close is you may have 15 things on the pro side and only one on the con side. Now, the bottom line is the con may be a very big obstacle. If you don't have $3,000, that may overweigh all the pros. But the idea in a Ben Franklin close is to just list out what are the pros and what are the cons. I would encourage you to do that about returning to Korea. Is that really where you as a family want to be? I mean, certainly you can't justify making this a selfish thing. If it's better for your family, your kids and your wife to be here, you can't make it a a deal where you you just want to go back to Korea. I mean, what is the attraction? And is, is that enough of a draw to make the sacrifices that you're talking about for your wife and your kids? If so, then be confident and we're back to that thing. You know what it is you want to do. You need to create an economic model. Can you find a job that may be part of the qualifier for this or the fleece? If you want to put it in a spiritual context where if you get a job that pays you enough where you can live comfortably and send your kids to international schools, 
where you don't have to address some of the other negatives you describe, then you make the move. If you can't find it, if you find a job that you know, pays $50,000 a year and your kids are going to be forced to go to public school, that may be one of the qualifiers. If that's the only kind of job you can find, then you don't move and go back there. Just lay it out in that fashion. You've got all the liberty in the world. All, you know, you, you are not desperate. It sounds like you don't aren't being forced to make a decision. Just map it out. Can you make a case for it where it really then does service as the best positive, the best possible option for you to do? And if so, you'll have all those other pieces taken care of in advance. Well, Jeff says, you know, and I'm probably going to wrap up with it. Jeff, Jeff from Iowa says, how do I survive the holidays? Now, I love the way Jeff lays this out. And, and again, is this a common question? I'm a hardworking entrepreneur and my in-laws don't understand. They don't get it. They keep emailing me listings for jobs in a 20 to $30 range and suggest that I apply for them. Isn't that a hoot? You know, isn't that hilarious? Just concern your in-laws. Gee, you married their daughter and you don't have a real job, dude. I mean, you may get out here and scratch together. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's concerned about he needs income. You know, he's got to have income. And I'm like, dude, my impression is you're doing pretty well. Well, he doesn't have anything. You know, last, last month, um, he didn't make any income at all. I says, really? Tell me about the last six months. Well, about six weeks ago, you know, he did. He found a house on Friday. He bought that and he sold it on Monday. And well, how much do you make doing that? Well, $93,000. Oh, really? Well, well, tell me about any activity prior to that. Well, a couple of weeks before that, you know, he, he put a little deal together and he made $62,000 in that one. Oh, really? You're concerned about not having who the heck in your life is pointing fingers at you because you don't have a real job. I mean, you just described two deals in a two week period. That's more money than most people make in a year ever in their lifetime. Why are you concerned about having a job? Well, so you have to look at it as an entrepreneur and Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot. I mean, he's got financial formulas for uneven income. So if you are an entrepreneur, you aren't going to get a steady one fifty second of your income every Friday in a paycheck and a nice white crisp envelope. So big deal as an entrepreneur, you look at your income at the end of the year and your in-laws showing you 20 to $30 range jobs. I mean, what I suggest is that you make sure you're making triple and quadruple that and be able to verify that and make it, show them how ridiculous it is that you would be considering something in that range. Now, Jeff says, I use these insults of motivation. However, I'm going to spend several days with them this season and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm sure given your entrepreneurial history, you've experienced some negativity. How did you cope? Here's what I looked for as quickly as possible. And it comes from an old adage we've heard. It's an old French proverb. If I could, I'd read it to you in French, but I don't speak French. So I'll just tell you in English. Here it is. You'll recognize it instantly. Success is the best revenge. That's what you do. There are people in, in my circle of family, obviously, who do not really still understand what I do. I mean, my dad, you know, wonderful old guy was a 
pastor of a little church, but a farmer to make a living. He understood planting corn. You harvest the corn, send it to market and make money. But people pay you to talk, to write. What's up with that? Now, I never did tell my dad actual financial figures. He, he would have choked to know that on a good day, I may make more than he ever made in a good year. It would have been very difficult to comprehend. An advance on a book, he was a good reader and writer as well. An advance on a book, you know where you can pay the mortgage in a house? I mean, he would have had a hard time. So I never flaunted that. I don't do that with my siblings. They have no idea what kind of finances we have at 48 days. It would just be hard to put that into perspective. Now, however, I, I, I know they recognize that, you know, we're doing pretty well. So you, you don't need to flaunt the specifics, but again, success is the best revenge. Just do what you're doing and make it clear that you're being compensated very well for what it is that you do. Now, obviously you have to do well to make that cliche work for you. If you're struggling, they see their daughter, you know, barefoot in the middle of winter, then you aren't doing a good job of being an entrepreneur. And they do have reason to suggest that you go out and get a real job. But if those things are not the case, then certainly hold your head high and move forward. Knowing that as an entrepreneur, you're going to do way better than taking one of those little jobs that they may have been suggesting. Well, let's take you out today with a little bit different have music. Yourself since it's a different time a of year. Merry little Christmas. This is a great time of year, you know? Let your be getting together with family. To doing the things that are just great seasonal memories. Make sure that you're doing that. Hey, this is a time of year though to be aggressively identifying what it is you do well what your plans are, what it is you're going to do to make success the best revenge for all those naysayers around you, the old co-workers you had, and the relatives, the in-laws that are standing there wondering what you're going to do. Make next year the most successful year you've ever had. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days Online community. Again, this is Dan Miller, your host for the 48 Days Online radio show, commending you, complimenting you, encouraging you as you find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Of Faithful friends who are dear to us Gather near to us once more Through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. Hang a shining star upon the highest bough and have yourself a merry little Christmas night.